you can now watch all of our podcast interviews on the Hack My Age YouTube channel. Some of our guests bring slideshows, so it's really great to have. Every week there is a new video, so just search Hack My Age on YouTube.com or find the link on the Hack My Age website. You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for biohacking women over 50. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, digital nomad, certified sports nutrition, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan, the cookbook, Eating for Longevity, and a new upcoming energy reboot program for women over 50. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and I would really appreciate it if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find us too. This is a really small but very critical gesture that makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast for older women, help us grow stronger, get our voice out there, and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. Today, we are going to meet the energy guy, Tony Wrighton. Remember the last time he came on the Hack My Edge podcast, we talked about his book, When Life is a Bit Meh, You Need Energy. Yeah, that was the title. <laughs> it was really good. But today, we're going to talk about something different. And actually, we're going to talk about a lot of different things and many things I don't know a lot about myself, but probably should. Uh, we're going to cover the topic of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and histamines, um, both of which Tony is an expert in. And also, we want to cover his new book, Stop Scrolling Without Throwing Your Phone Away. It's come up with these great titles for his books. I love them. So, no, we don't want to throw away our phones. We need our phones. But learning how to use them in a healthy way is a really good thing. So I'm super excited to hear what Tony's tips are. Now, maybe you will recognize Tony's voice because he is a presenter on Sky Sports in the UK, but he's also an accomplished journalist, author, podcast host of Zestology, and a great biohacker. And he has been ahead of the curve before anyone else in the podcasting circuit and interviewed nearly everyone worth knowing in health, medicine, and science from all around the world, like Ben Greenfield and Dave Asprey, Aubrey D. Gray, Wim Hof and me. <laughs> and one last thing you may not know about Tony, he is histamine intolerant and has created a whole website around it called histamineintolerance.net. So we're going to explore what this is and find his best hacks for anyone who has histamine issues. So now without further ado, let's meet Tony Wrighton. Welcome. Zora, lovely to be with you. And uh, yeah, I've learned a lot from you on the biohacking as well, actually. I remember last time we met in London and we talked about peptides a lot and you got me very excited about peptides. You got me down the peptide rabbit hole. <laughs> Which ones have you tried so far? Um, just the copper peptides for the face. But I have some other peptides here that I'm a bit nervous to use. I can't even remember what they are, but they sort of look quite hardcore. And I don't really know what to do with them. Are they supplements, injectables? It's a supplement. Yeah, I got sent a supplement by a company and I've got all these pots. I think, I believe it's very expensive, but I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> oh, we'll have to have a chat then. Uh, guide you on that. But it, the peptides are amazing and they have done incredible things for a lot of other people as well. So I'm excited to, to follow your journey. We're waiting to look 25, but um, that hasn't <laughs> quite happened yet. Well, hey, you know, if anybody's watching the video, you certainly don't look far. 
look like my son who is 25. Um. <laughs> well, that's, that is very kind of you. I don't believe it for a moment, but thank you anyway. <laughs> so we do have a lot to cover today. And so I want people to get to know you a little bit about yourself and your health journey, your histamine discovery, and how this led you to do what you are doing right now. I've always sort of had two careers concurrently. I've been a TV presenter and a radio presenter, and I was always the sort of self-help guy publishing uh, stuff on the side. I trained in neuro-linguistic programming almost 20 years ago, which is a, a set of skills and techniques on how people do things well, how, how people communicate better with themselves and other people and, and make significant lasting changes in their life. But I always had some health stuff going on as well. And then about 10 years ago, I went on a trip to the jungle and got very ill. And I spent about three months in bed. Uh, that wasn't much fun. And eventually slowly clawed my way back to health and then eventually discovered this concept called histamine intolerant. And it seemed the most complicated thing I could possibly think of. But actually, I discovered I suffer from histamine intolerance. And the moment I discovered that, things started getting so much better. The thing about histamine intolerance is it's not really like gluten intolerance, because if you're gluten intolerant, you can look at any ingredient label and you can work out I should eat that or I shouldn't eat that. But histamine intolerance has a multitude of symptoms and some foods are high in histamine and some foods are low in histamine. And it all seems a bit random. So there was a lot to learn. And in fact, there was so little information, I started a website on it. Oh, I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you did because I've heard about it. I understand a little bit about it, but I don't know a lot. And I think just knowing, I think part of your health journey is finally you found something that you know was the answer to your health problems. And that is just such a relief because when you try certain things, because your symptoms can be anything. If you go to Dr. Google, you suddenly you know, think you're going to die tomorrow because you've got some crazy disease. And in fact, you don't really know because it, it's got you know, related to so many other things. So I'm so glad you found it. And then you found an opportunity to bring more information to the world of histamine. So we're going to talk a little bit about that after I want to talk about the NLP. So let's maybe start with the NLP first and then go into histamines. How did you get into NLP? Like, first, what is it? And how did you, why are you interested in that and decide to learn it and then teach it and make books on it? Well, now I look back in my life, sort of in the whole, like, you know, brain and body are so interlinked, aren't they? And that is so clear from everything I read and everything I learn about myself as well. And I'm pretty sure that actually the reason I got into NLP was all linked to what we've already talked about. I was sort of suffering with a little bit of anxiety and stress myself. And just thought there's got to be a better way. So again, you know, it, it turned to Google. This is back in 2004. So in the old days of Google. Gosh, when it was, we had to read a magazine while you were flipping, you know, paid next, next window on the, the internet. Um, I needed a good connection to load the, the, to load the page, which said that neuro-linguistic programming could help. And I started learning this and straight away it resonated with me because I loved the sort of goal setting and outcomes element of it. I was very ambitious, 20 something at that point, you know, looking to further my career in TV and radio, but also really interesting from a therapeutic side, from a coaching side as well. And just wondered if that would be a, a sort of a, an interesting avenue to take my career down, not just presenting Shania Twain and Whitney Houston songs on the radio, but also looking at something a little bit more in depth based around psychology because I was interested in that area. But mainly, I was interested for myself, and that's why I got involved in it. What exactly is it? How does somebody? How would you describe NLP? And and, and 
and how, and let's explain it to a woman going through midlife and if she can use this to her advantage somehow. Absolutely. It stands for neuro-linguistic programming. It's a very long name to describe a set of skills, which is very effective. It was first um, conceived in the 70s and it's now used by millions of people worldwide. And it is a study of really how people do things well. It's used a lot in therapy, coaching, uh, sports, business, sales, all sorts of psycho uh, uh, psychology applications as well. And for anyone who wants to sort of make lasting improvements, this is what you want to look at. And it's a particularly helpful when you're looking at mindset. You know, I mean, I sort of I know that so many people read a self-help book or a personal development book a week, but how much of it actually sticks? Well, that's where I think neuro-linguistic programming is so helpful. It's a study of how we do things well and how we communicate with ourselves and other people. And that's why I love this mindset stuff. And all my writing and all the audiobooks and books I've brought out since 2004 have been focused on getting people to take small changes that last. So all the way through, there might be, I'm just writing a book on burnout at the moment because I told you, you know, I, I went to the jungle and then spent three months in bed. And really what that was, was burnout. So part of the book is around burnout, but the other part is about making changes that actually stick, that don't just work for a week and then you forget about them, but stick. And that's what I'm really passionate about. That's the key. <laughs> Almost anything that we do, we learn something and then we were like, okay, now how do we really apply this? this is why people get personal trainers and health coaches and, and all these things to, to actually hold them accountable. You know, neuro means the brain, linguist linguistic means language. So it's like a brain language and programming yourself to do guess, certain things. So you did have, I can't remember, I literally just liked a post that you did um, on your store and in your, in your Instagram. And it was, a, it, was an, it was a good example of what neuro-linguistic programming was. And it was something about holding your fingers together after feeling or visualizing yourself doing something positive, I think. Uh, can you explain, you know, just as an example, what, so what this actually is? One of the examples, I know there are many. Yeah. And, and one of the things I really love about neuro-linguistic programming is it's a set of skills that can be, um, in almost every instance, um, methodically and meticulously backed up by science and research. So anchoring is one of the bedrock skills of NLP. And it's all about anchoring yourself to a thought of emo or emotion. And when you're in a state that is not particularly helpful, changing your state, and it all comes from Pavlov's dogs. So the famous story, I'm sure most of your listeners know, but you know Pavlov was a researcher and looking at external stimuli and how they affected his dogs. And he would ring a bell and the dogs would salivate because they knew it was time for food. Every time he fed them, he would ring a bell. After a while, he could ring a bell and they'd salivate and get excited, even though there was no food. <laughs> so I'm not saying in any way, Zora, we are like Pavlov's dogs, but we sort of are. <laughs> because we can use that same anchoring technique to anchor ourselves to almost any thought or emotion you like. So in that Instagram example, I just said, look, you know, if someone's stressed or anxious, for example, think about how you'd like to feel maybe relaxed. And then think of a time when you felt relaxed in the past. And then we use all sorts of association techniques to help people really associate that. So you, you might sort of think about that time and make the colors big and bright and bold in your mind and then turn the volume up and the sound up and make the sounds loud and crisp. And then think about how it felt to feel that sense of relaxation. And as you see and hear and feel exactly how you felt at the time, 
squeeze your thumb and forefinger together and then release. And then the next time you want to feel a bit more relaxed in exactly the same way as Pavlov's dogs salivated, you squeeze your thumb and forefinger together again and you will feel more relaxed. That's incredible. So I was just visualizing myself uh, in the beach, on the beach in, in Portugal, which you're going to visit very soon. Right. And yeah, yeah. The beaches are amazing there. And I do remember one of the first times I was there, just laying out. Yeah, I could feel the sun. As you were describing, I was feeling the sun. I was listening to the waves. I could hear the seagulls. And yeah, I can, I can. And if you can, you know, I weren't doing a podcast, I'd just sit there and really soak it in. And I can see how that would work. So that gives somebody a, an example of what NLP is. And I, I'm trying to figure out like a woman going through menopause, say, for example, she's having a hot flash. I'm wondering if NLP would work to mitigate those effects. Like, do you visualize an, yourself as an ice cube or, and then do your fingers together? Or is there other techniques that a woman having a hot flash could use? And by the way, I could tell it was working on you at that point because I just saw your physiology slightly change. And that's one of the things we do with it. <laughs> we, we look for sort of nonverbal cues to see if something's working. I could just tell there was like a, a change in your facial expression. I just saw your shoulders just go down a little bit as you were thinking of that time in Portugal. Yeah, I think it's really important with all these things because I don't just use NLP. I've trained in loads of stuff. And um, NLP isn't the only thing I use myself. And I think it's very, very annoying when someone says, hey, don't worry about the menopause. Just do it. Just squeeze your thumb and forefinger together and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, yes, I think it could work. And you could think if, if you are going, I mean, obviously, I don't actually know because I'm not going through the menopause myself. But if you were to say, imagine being in a, in a cold place and that would help, you could try that. But, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you know the author Dan Harris, but he wrote an excellent book called 10% Happier. And sometimes uh, I think yeah, yeah. it's a good title because, you know, it might make you feel 10% less hot flush if you try these days. <laughs> you're not going to get rid of the underlying, you know, issue of the menopause. It's not just going to make it go away, is it? But all of these things really help. Okay. I think we should co-write a book on NLP for menopause. That's, love I've already it. have an idea. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely <laughs> love to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are all, there's tons, tons of books you could write on. <laughs> yeah. Like a different whole chapters. A whole series of, of books. So, okay, I think we've got it. I think we got it. I think we do need to, to really use these techniques. I think it could be really, really helpful for somebody going through menopause. Just on that, you know, it's, it is so important to, um, one of the things I've been focused on with this book, Deep Burnout, is the link between your physical state and your mental state. And that is something that's quite hard for people to, to grasp, that how you are thinking is affecting your physical symptoms. And I know this because, you know, having spent three months in bed, I just couldn't sort of, I, I just couldn't shake out of it. And there was no doubt I was going through a lot of physical stuff, but actually I, I, I ended up working with this very sympathetic practitioner who said, this is gonna be hard for you to, to accept, but part of the way that you are thinking right now is exacerbating your physical symptoms because you're so stuck in your sympathetic nervous system you can't allow your rest and digest system to kick in, get rid of the fight and flight and actually start to heal. Absolutely agree with you. And I, could, I couldn't agree with you more than right now because I have just learned about pain reprocessing therapy. And this is there's this whole mind-body connection, which I get the mind-body connection. We study this in gerontology. We understand it. There's enough science around it. However, in February, I have osteoarthritis. 
And so I'm always, you know, finding hacks and things and making myself go, go longer, doing PRP and it works great. And then I decided I'm going to try this new medication and it's taking a long time to get to me. And meanwhile, I start degrading and I'm going to do a whole solo podcast on this because I think the information is super useful. So while I'm waiting for this medication to come, I'm getting worse and worse and I'm looking for ways how to get rid of this pain. And where did it come from? Like, why is it suddenly, and it's just in my hips, just really localized. I have the arthritis in my hips. So I learned about Dr. Sarno's work. He wrote Healing Back Pain, even though that's not my, my back isn't my issue, but this book is fabulous for anyone who's dealing with pain. And there are amazing techniques. And I could see, you know, when you're living with pain and it's like spiraling out of control, like this is chronic pain, you panic even more and then you exacerbate the whole situation. But by using certain techniques and NLP probably would fit in perfectly. And I, I, I but we did learn this thing, pain reprocessing therapy, and, and it is reprogramming those pain pathways in your brain because they're connected to the rest of your body. And you can have amazing outcomes. And I've done a great podcast with a girl who had fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, like way beyond what I've experienced. And she was bedridden for 18 years. And through some of these techniques, she has been able to cure herself literally without any surgery. And it was shocking. So I absolutely can agree with you on that. The, and we dismiss so much and everybody's telling me, yeah, well, you know, overtraining jumping around everywhere. But if that were the case, and everyone who's in their, uh, diagnosed with this one in my late 40s, everyone in their 40s and 50s would have osteoarthritis by now. These athletes, I mean, ath professional athletes, which I am not, then it must be something else. And it puts, I think definitely the mind-body connection is something there. Totally agree with you. And I hope people can understand that. And that's why I even went down that pathway, because once you have a certain condition or a pain or whatever it's in your yeah, gastrointestinal issues or a knee issue, you suddenly, you also, you always think of the physical, oh, I hurt myself or I did this. And, but sometimes these last long, long, long time, and you just are so desperate to find out the, the root cause. And we may be slapping stuff on like a bandaid on it that maybe work for a little while, but getting to the root may have to do, do something with how the thoughts in your head. And that's, something I hadn't explored yet with osteoarthritis, my, this condition, but I was shocked with, with what I've learned and really encourage people to keep learning. And, and I'm sure I'm, your book in LLP, you must have some information like this as well, right? I mean, you know, a, a lot of what's going on with NLP is um, sort of meditation and hypnosis and changing state, as I already said. And so I think a real focus for me, I mean, and as I said with this book, uh, Beat Burnout, it's, it's quite hard because I've, I've put together a, a mix of my experience in recovering from burnout, along with all the NLP stuff I know that works. And the first, the first week is really just dealing with the immediate stress, anxiety, often panic, overthinking that comes with being very ill and not quite knowing what's going on and trying to solve it all the time which is I'm such a type A solver personality. I'm constantly trying to fix things and actually just being, just letting go and saying no and flowing and accepting is very hard for me to do and a lot of other people as well. So working on that with some of these NLP skills is, is powerful. But I, I feel like some people will push back because they'll be like, so I've got all these physical symptoms going on and you're just telling me to chill out a little bit. <laughs> and that's where the NLP stuff is, you know, we try and make it as powerful as possible. 
and we layer in all the science as well to show the link between mind and body. Yeah, I can totally see somebody doing that. And especially when you're, we, we, you expect it, you say, okay, well, I'll work on my mind, I'll work on my thoughts, I'll work on my whatever. It doesn't happen in a day, right? And so people get impatient. You know, medicine works, you know, like that. And people are like, oh, okay, suddenly I can take a painkiller, pain's gone, or my issue may be gone, but that may not be getting quite to the root cause of the problem, That which takes a lot longer. So I think um, you got to give it time because you didn't get to where you are now in a day. It probably took years and years, perhaps some childhood trauma or some other issues, uh, which is taking years, if not decades, to get where you're now. So it's not going to be so fast to unwind. But if that truly is the root cause of the problem, man, it's worth every single minute of your life to to undo it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This episode is sponsored by Oxford HealthSpan, the creators of my favorite supplement, Primadine. I admit it, I am a total supplement junkie, but if I had to choose only one, it would be this one. And it's because Primadine is spermidine, and this is shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. Now, this is a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. So as we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and waste, which isn't good for our cells, our health, nor our longevity. So we need to clean it up. And if you want the research on this, go to OxfordHealthSpan.com and you can see all of it, showing how spermidine supports our brain, our hormones, and our heart health. And another great side effect is stronger hair, skin, and nails, but also longer eyelashes. But, you know, the real important reason why I love Primadine is because I have never, ever received as much feedback on a product I recommended as I have with Primadine. Literally every week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And... Most of the time, it's about improved sleep. And even some of you told me it's reversed a bit of your gray hair too. So I find that totally amazing. So I can honestly say with 100% certainty that Primadine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on OxfordHealthSpan.com. Just be sure to get back to me with your results too. Now enjoy the show. One other thing about NLP that I'd like to understand, I first learned about it, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, I heard the word NLP, and it was from a friend of mine who was learning the technique, and then she invited me to her house to one of her guinea pigs. And uh, and so she was building a practice of doing NLP for other people. How, you know, sounds like what you're trying to do is teach people to do this on their own. So what's the difference between, you know, who do you have to go to someone to NLP, get it? And like, is it more effective if getting someone doing it for you or is it better to learn on your own? Oh, yeah. I mean, I do work with people privately. But um, I think what I offer is different levels. So you can learn the NLP skills yourself. Firstly, sort of have a look at the book, and that's a, that's a good starting point. And then I do courses, and then if you want, I do courses where I hold your hand all the way through it. And we and so there's the DIY option, and then there's the right, let's get it done as quick as possible option. Um, and I love that because then we just work over Zoom or in person if you're in London, and we just get it done as quickly as possible. We do loads. We just layer on all the techniques. It's so much fun. 
and you know we, we we pick what we want to work on and then we make it happen so as we were saying before you know that is like we we actually are focused on results that stick and making it happen amazing i knew a lot about you tony but that i didn't know that you were working privately with clients it's i must have missed is it on your website well you know what zora because i had this career in tv that has that has taken up most of my time for the last 15 years I was learning NLP on the side and then I was working with clients. And then about 2015, I was like, why am I doing, why am I working so hard? So I had to just step back from the clients a little bit for a few years. And then I reduced my TV commitments about 18 months ago. So I could just do this more and go and live in Thailand for three months and visit Portugal <laughs> and all that sort of thing. And so now I am, I am working with clients and, and putting courses together. And, you know, actually it's been great because bringing this book out on NLP, um, I'm going to, a bit of a humble brag here, but it's, basically number one on Amazon in the category of NLP books. And yes, there is an NLP category. <laughs> so, uh, so I've been very pleased with that. Yeah, and NLP is a big category. If, I mean, if you've heard this for the first time, you may not think so, but it's been around. Oh, gosh, it's quite big. <laughs> it's been around, yeah. I know, I know there's, there are loads of people who, who know about it, that at least that I know, but, it's, um, but still, I think it's, it's great. Congratulations. And I don't know why I don't have the book yet. I have to go and get it. Sometimes I can't get your book on digital. Did I not, right? did I not send it to you? Not the NLP. Well, you send me the, uh, you know, life is a bit meh, but I, I, I need digital you. books. I need digital stuff. So if you can send digital, because I'm a nomad, right? So um, if, if you can't carry books around with me, if, if you don't have an option, I can get it. But I would love that. And I usually read everything before I speak to somebody on the interview, but I, I, I couldn't, well, I, I didn't get a hold of this one. And I think it was Don't beat yourself up about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel bad. I do a lot of research before my, my, my guests. I know, so. I know. In fact, I don't think I, I, I go on quite a lot of podcasts and I don't think anybody is as thorough in preparing for podcasts as Zora. I think you, you, you reconfirm the date, you send a list of questions, you actually read the books. You are a, a very thorough uh, preparer of podcasts and it's very impressive. Oh, thank you. It's good to hear you made my day. <laughs> I notice it. It's good. Oh, uh, I'm gonna. I would love to have a link if you do. If you are taking clients, I would love to have a link because I know people will be asking me about that if I don't have it or if it's not on your website. Yeah. So let's move on to histamines. That's yeah. what are histamines and how do you become is histamine intolerant? Yeah. So histamine is a neurotransmitter. It's found in every cell in the body. We need histamine to survive. It helps with the inflammatory response. A lot of people know about antihistamines and they know that when spring comes along and the pollen comes out, they might need to take an antihistamine. And that is because you might, your body might be producing too much. And then you have the symptoms. The classic springtime symptoms are, you know, stuffed up nose or runny eyes or something like that. But some people just create too much histamine all the time and actually it could be about it could be up to 30 percent of people and it's in, the awareness of histamine intolerance is changing so quickly because the multitude of symptoms that come from histamine intolerance is huge so it's quite hard to go to your doctor and say well i've got this that and the other going on and for them to diagnose then of course there's the problem that my cousin's wife is a doctor and she studied for seven years and she said they spent one hour on histamine in seven years and she's really interested in histamine intolerance, as are a lot of doctors, but they don't train in it. So they don't know how to spot it. And there are, conventionally, there are not many doctors to rely on that um, can be trusted to sort of 
come up with up-to-date information on histamine intolerance. The list of symptoms is huge. I mean, I always had a problem with my gut. For 25 years, I'd get a dodgy stomach and I just couldn't work out why. And occasionally, a bit of a blocked up nose and a, a few other symptoms as well and, and fatigue as well. But for example, you know, you mentioned the menopause in this podcast. The amount of people who get in touch with me who are going through the menopause and then histamine intolerance symptoms come on. It's huge and they don't really have anywhere to go for decent information. So this is why it was such a revelation for me to discover histamine intolerance. And then what I did was I, I sort of did a bit of Googling. I thought, well, I'll try a, a histamine intolerant, a low, a low histamine diet for three days. And after about an hour, I started to feel better. <laughs> and at that point, I thought, this is probably histamine intolerance. <laughs> I mean, how did you even find a diet, a histamine diet? I mean, just was that you by on Google on a Google search? And I mean, Zora, I've tried everything. Uh, honestly, like gluten, dairy. Um, I've tried giving up chickpeas. I've tried <laughs> oxalates, salicylates, lectin. lectins. I've tried the DAP diet, diverticulitis. I've tried everything. Histamine was right at the bottom of my list because it was the most. It seemed like the most complicated one to try. So <laughs> I, I went to the bulletproof conference. In about 2016, and I heard, I think, Dr. Ben Lynch talking about histamine. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll put that on the list. And then, and then yeah, work from there. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. And you were certainly determined. Um, and I, I, I commend you for going down that whole list and eventually finding it. And that just must be such a revelation. So you said the, the list is long of histamines. And, and is it just, I mean, what else, what else are the common ones? You said the runny nose and the itchy eyes and like a flu, I mean, not a, like a, uh, in, um, allergy type symptoms, but what else can people see? Like the top ones. The, the top ones would be definitely anything stomach related, anything skin related can often be down to allergies, menstrual problems and cramps, uh, can often be influenced by histamine issues and histamine fluctuates by, uh, by hour and by day and definitely by time of the month for women as well. Yeah, as I said, skin, if you've got any sort of hive or eczema or skin issues, that could be related to histamine. Um, and then a lot of inflammation stuff as well. You know, I mean, inflammation and histamine is huge because really what the histamine is doing when it flares up is inflaming the body because it, it senses a threat. That's what happens when you get your springtime allergies. The histamine is there. We don't want to get rid of all the histamine. There's an analogy that I use that is a little bit like bouncers in a nightclub. These bouncers are there to protect you. If there's too many bouncers, things start to go wrong. <laughs> well, that's where the analogy ends, but you sort of get my, get my drift on it. Yeah, a little too much ego in the room. Though interesting then, so you found out through a diet, you've been able to resolve this issue. Now, is it always diet related or are there other parts to the puzzle? Yeah, and listen, I haven't, it's an ongoing process. I must say, you know, I've been working with this for a few years and I would say I'm probably 90 to 95% better than what I used to be. But there are still, I, I still have to follow a low histamine diet, and that is the first place to start. Ultimately, you want to ask, and I can go through the diet stuff in a sec, but you actually want to ask, why am I histamine intolerant? Is it hormonal, for example? That in, in terms of women with menopause, it might well be hormonal, or it might be just a, a, a changing of the seasons as you age. A lot of people find in their 20s and 30s, they're not interested in, the histamine is absolutely fine, and then all of a sudden these symptoms start to develop and they can't work out why. It might be, I was just telling you before we started the podcast, it might be mold related. You know, I did, I did this test a couple of months ago. I came up very high for mycotoxins, which suggests you've got mold in your house, which was a bit of a shock, but maybe I have. It might be because you've got some sort of gut dysbiosis 
and it often might be genetic as well and you can take a genetics test and then you can run it through some platforms and if you go i've got a website called histamineintolerance.net which you mentioned and there's you can follow all the prompts on there to to find out where to put your, your gene results and see if you've got a genetic uh, tendency towards histamine intolerance and then there are various supplements you can take as well oh, okay so those are some of the solutions and the reason, yeah, it could be multiple. And uh, I think that'll be that your your website will be a great resource. So talk us through a histamine diet. If somebody starts there, what what kind of what kind of a diet is that? Oh, it's all the best stuff, Zora. It oh, really shoot. is. It's <laughs> I know like, it's chocolate and red yeah. wine or something. I it think is. That. Yeah. You have to think about like you have to think about it this way. It's actually not that bad once you get into it, but you are gonna have to red wine is probably the highest histamine thing in the world. And of course, that made so much sense to me because increasingly over the years, I've had some very, very bad hangovers. And I've almost felt like I was hungover the moment I drunk red wine, which explained it. And then when I ate chocolate, I would get a stuffy nose. Chocolate's high in histamine as well, especially dark chocolate, the good stuff without much sugar in it. You want to be avoiding aged meat and leftovers because food can accumulate histamine the more it sits there. So that's aged meat. And that's sort of sausages and bacon and stuff like that. So, but with the with the food that's leftovers, that means more than a day. Yeah, and especially meat and fish. I mean, fish is fish is another one to really to avoid unless it's frozen at sea, in which case it's fine. But fish can double in histamine content every twenty minutes. No. <laughs> so, yeah, so you might be eating a lot of histamine right there, and then of course fermented foods as well. Oh, yeah, I know kombucha, yogurt. Uh, and listen, the, the idea is that you introduce these things back into your diet once you start to heal and once you start to lower your histamine levels. But one of the most interesting things about histamine and one of the things that does make it confusing is that everybody reacts differently. So, for example, some people are fine with yogurt and others aren't. Some people are fine with avocados and others aren't. And some people are probably fine with red wine and others aren't. You have to find your own tolerance levels, which is, I think, why what I've done with the website and my company brought out a couple of books on, on Amazon about it. And they've just seems to have re resonated with people because people do have to continually come back and I have to do it as well. I'm like, do I react to lentils or not? I can't quite remember <laughs> on top of it. How interesting. Okay. So there is a long list. And like with any diet, if you're feeling better on it, I think it's more motivating and easier to stay on it. And always in the beginning, it's a drag to give up some of your favorite foods. But I think the fact that you said it sounds like there is a spectrum as well. So you may be able to reintroduce them without any issues, depending on how much or when, or maybe like you said, if it's seasonal, certain times of the year, maybe you can still have your favorite, whatever it is. It, it does fluctuate. You know, there's this concept known as the histamine bucket. And when your histamine bucket is low, you can chuck almost anything you like into it, eat all the chocolate and red wine you like, and it'll be fine. But when it's high and it's sort of brimming a little bit, you put one little thing in it, it starts to tip over, and then your histamine symptoms start to come with a vengeance. So chocolate last week might have been fine, but it might not be today. And it's interesting recording this podcast today because I'm actually quite stuffy and blocked up in my nose today. What'd you eat? This is the problem. I don't actually really know. And it might not be something that I ate. It might be uh, dust, it might be environmental triggers, it might be a perfume, it might be just the fact that I've been stressed or a change in scenery, or I might just have a cold because <laughs> my son's got a cold. I was sleeping next yeah. to him last night, he's four, <laughs> and I think he was a bit uh, sniffly last night, so I might have his cold. But yeah, it's, 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 a, 
it's something that you have to delve into a little bit, but it is so worth it. And I have to say, I, I've felt so much better since doing so. It's been life-changing. It can be life-changing. I'm so, in diet, it makes such a huge impact for, for so many people. The thing is, it sounds like there's so many moving levers and, and uh, you know, but I do believe that your body is constantly talking to you. And I wouldn't ignore just the stuff he knows. I mean, it's not to panic, but you know, if it doesn't go away and it's continually, and then you go, oh, it's maybe not a, just a cold, or maybe it's something that's lingering. It, don't ignore it. Your body, just try to figure out what it's trying to tell you. This is this is really important, and and uh, and it is a journey. It is, and, and I do believe it's worth it because you eventually it catches up. You may go, oh, I'll just live with this stuff he knows, or I'll live with this pain, or all this, this whatever. But I really, at least through experience and through what I've seen and aging and gerontology, it's like they do eventually catch up to you. And it doesn't always have to be that way, or you don't have to always say, oh, it's because I'm old or I'm, it just comes with age. No, there are plenty of people who are in their 80s and 90s who are, who don't have these issues. And you know, part of it is could be genetics, but part of it is is not. So, you know, what can we do to to help ourselves? So, I, I really encourage people to just keep listening to your body. Don't ignore those signs and symptoms. The osteoarthritis that you mentioned is there a is there a cause behind that? Is it? Do you know? Do you know what it is? It seems to be that so osteoarthritis is the uh, is a degradation of inflammation in in a certain joint, and it's different than say rheumatoid arthritis. And the most common ones are in the hip and the knee, and it very happens a lot with women. So they, it seems to be as though there is a sort of trigger that an injury that may have happened when you were, you know, in playing football in university, or maybe uh, for me, I was doing a deadlift and I was in my forties, and it just seemed to had a snap, and then it healed. So what happens is these injuries heal after six to eight weeks, but the body, some in some people are remembering this inflammation, the body keeps going, becoming overprotective and, and does it. So part of it could be those pain pathways, right? So if you can eliminate those, that would be great. But sometimes that's not enough. And this inflammation happens. And in, in my case, there are evidently three genes that I have that are very protective for certain diseases and illnesses, but become overprotect, overprotective in this case. And so you have, no matter, I, I eat an anti-inflammatory diet or I'm doing everything I should be doing, like, why is this happening to me? And it's partly, this is the genetic component plays a big part in this because, you know, I'm not, I'm active, but I'm not a, a professional athlete. So this is where I've been reading and people being overweight is another big one. It's not my case, but that pressure on the joints constantly as well is not helping the situation. So weight loss is is one of the big big uh, levers for you know alleviating the symptoms. Now most people would say it's a disease that degenerative, and these are really bad words to use if you're in that pain reprocessing therapy because they're scary and it makes you feel like yeah, there's no end. But in fact, and most doctors will say there is no cure. I'm being treated by Dr. Elizabeth Yurth, who's from the Boulder Longevity Clinic, and she says, yes, you can put a stop to this. And that's what the medicine called pentacin polysulfate does. And I'll be doing a whole, I mean, I did a podcast with her actually already on osteoarthritis. You can go listen to that. But yes, and I love people like her and Dr. Dale Bredesen, if you know, you know, Dr. Dale. Yeah, he's been on my podcast a couple of times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And these are doctors that go, yes, you can stop and even reverse Alzheimer's. Like who in the world says that? Right. But he's proving it. 
And Dr. Elizabeth Yu is proving it. So why not? Especially if somebody t- tells you there's no hope, <laughs> like, well, well, here's somebody who has so the worst case that, well, maybe it doesn't work, but at least they give you a little bit of hope, which I think is super important when you're trying to resolve an issue. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. Let's move on to scrolling through our phones. Again, it's so addictive. Uh, who doesn't really do this? I mean, everyone scrolls at some point and we need our phones anyways for work and communication, but we can really get sucked into it and not even realize like an hour has passed by when we should be doing other things. And and our phones even now tell us, they give us analytics of how much screen time to try to help us manage this addiction that we have. Um, and stop staring at the screen all the time. Um, and it's and it's a problem. And and you wrote a book on the solutions. And again, I can get, get the copy of the book. So I have no idea what's in it. Uh, I can imagine, but I really want you to tell us a little bit about the problem that we're having with this, with our technology, and then why you wrote a book about it and maybe some tips. By the way, you mentioned the screen time um, settings on the iPhone, certainly. They are absolutely useless. You get a very general idea. You get a very general idea of how much time you spent on your phone. And then it says, would you like to block certain websites or certain apps? That's a great idea, isn't it? So, so, you know, this is before I started writing the book. I thought, well, I'll block block Instagram for more than 15 minutes a day. That'd be great. And maybe I shouldn't WhatsApp for more than half an hour and maybe five minutes on Twitter. And then at the end of that half hour, it says, would you like some more time? (laughs) And you just say yes. And you're back on there. I don't have enough self-control to not say yes. <laughs> so actually in the book, it's a, it's a combination of the NLP skills, the fact that um, I have a very addictive personality and I've had, you know, I've, I've sort of done a lot of work around addiction over the last few years and I know I can be quite addicted to my phone as can most people. And then just some fun biohacking stuff. Like for example, there are ways to permanently block Twitter on your phone that don't involve using the official iPhone settings, which is quite fun or to mitigate the effect at night uh, to make it much easier on the eye and to help you sleep better and all that sort of thing. So it's a combination of the NLP, a bit of biohacking, and uh, just the fact that I knew that I was super addicted and I have an addictive personality. So bringing in some of the stuff I learned on my addiction journey as well. Oh, I'm going to have to get this book somehow. Yes. Well, when you say oh, I can just message it to you. So that's, that's happening. <laughs> that would be great. Okay. And so is, are there three tips that you can give us that we could use right now in order to stop scrolling? I'll give you a couple which are quite fun. And then I'll give you sort of one mindset tip as well. First one is if you really are addicted, what's your most kryptonite site? What are, you, what are the things that you do most on your phone, which you'd like to reduce or maybe cut out altogether? Probably Instagram. It used to be TikTok because that friggin' I was trying to figure out how to do a TikTok and then you need to research. I called it research. And man, that could be addicting. So I, I pretty much stopped that. And But you can get now with the reels on Instagram, you can get scrolling on big time. So let's say that. But the thing is, you still want to use Instagram sometimes, don't you? Because you need, to, you, need to, you need it for your job. I need to post, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This would be more for something that you just want to cut out totally. So for example, with me, I, I have a bit of a news addiction. 
And I tend to spend hours and hours on the Guardian's website reading articles that I just don't need to be reading and I could be doing something productive. So um, I tried the screen time uh, tools that we discussed before on the iPhone, didn't work. But if you go into content settings and you tell your iPhone that the Guardian is actually porn, (laughs) (laughs) then it won't let you look at it. Say, I would like to limit adult websites, including The Guardian. (laughs) So that's my first tip. Anything you want to stop using. Now, there is still a workaround. You can, let's say you you only want to use Instagram once every two days to do your posts. You could uh, go into your settings, uh, put Instagram in as a content uh, restriction for limited adult websites. But it's much harder. There's many more steps to take to actually unblock that from your phone. So that is an excellent one. Another one that makes your phone more boring is just changing the grayscale settings. Have you heard of this? You can make your screen completely black and white. And there's a growing movement of people who are doing this. And you go into accessibility settings in the iPhone or the Android phone. And uh, there's a few steps. It's in the book. But you really, you go through the settings and then your screen on your phone is completely black and white. It makes it so boring to use that you will not want to use it so much. Now, there's another setting that at That's night... That's a great tip. I mean, that is a, ingenious and it's so simple. And of course, it's been designed for people who have accessibility issues and who need a black and white screen for whatever reason. But we can take advantage of that. Also at night, if you're looking at your screen last thing before night, all the science, and I talk about the science in the book, shows that you are going to sleep worse. You're going to sleep less deeply. You're going to be more agitated and anxious. Um, and they've studied students and they get things like worse exam results if they're up on their phones in the middle of the night and all the rest of it. Or you can turn your phone completely red at night as well. So there's no blue light and your body's, you, you know, you know the stuff about melatonin. But it's really easy. I mean, if I just show you, that's my screen now. And just a triple click of the home button. Look at that. Yeah. I have that setting. It's all, it's, it's really red. And it's, yeah, and people who are listening to this instead of watching it on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's it's not pleasant at all to to do, but it, I, yeah, it's great for saving your melatonin so that you can actually fall asleep more quickly at night. And then the third thing, it's more of a mindset thing, and I sort of I need to preface this by saying a lot of the things that work the best are fairly obvious. And so if it seems a little bit simple, that's fair enough, but just try it. And that is if you are serious about reducing your phone usage or your screen usage or stopping scrolling, get an accountability buddy and be accountable to them. Set up a WhatsApp group where you just talk about how you switched off your phone for half an hour or an hour a day. And that's what me and my wife Faith do. You know, we've got a separate group where we talk about meditation and a separate group where we talk about whether we switched our phones off for two hours a day. So for two hours every day, I just switch all my screens off and it is always, Zora, the best two hours of the day. I do all the things that are best in life and they don't involve screens. And I'll let you use your imagination on that but it's so cooking and conversation and working out and nature and exercise and all the rest of it, they don't involve screens. So for those two hours, there's no screens. And then I will post in the WhatsApp group to say that I've done that. And if I haven't done it, then I can't post. So the competitive element in me is disappointed. Great one. Okay. This is another, uh, okay. Anyone here want to be my accountability buddy? Because (laughs) that's a great idea. One tip that I, you just reminded me that works for me is when I need to get a project done, really focus on the computer, get some project done, I need to stay focused. And so I will, my phone, I will put it on the do not disturb mode because when I, sometimes I need to go into my phone to look at my calendar to set something up 
and go, kind of go back and forth uh, or get something from the phone and pass it on to the computer, whatever. I may need my phone for something. And when you put it on do not disturb, it takes away those little red notification buttons. Now those that, that you have two messages or 15 or those to me are so addictive. I know they figured it out and how to make people use their apps more by having that little notification. So either, you know, some apps, I completely turn it off and uh, I probably should turn them off for everything. But when I see it, I'm like, gotta open it, gotta open that WhatsApp. And then I get totally distracted from my project. And so the do not disturb function does take off those little red things. And that is for me super helpful. And then I can just get into my phone for whatever it is that I need without being distracted. There's one more thing on the accountability as well as, as the notifications, and that is I interviewed someone called Manish Sethi. I don't know if you've had him on your podcast, but you should, and I can introduce you. He invented this device called the Pavlock, which really gives you a, a small electric shock every time you do something you don't want oh. to. <laughs> Previously to that, he made headlines all around the world because he hired somebody to slap him every time he went on Facebook. <laughs> as he says, he very quickly stopped going on Facebook because he had to be accountable to the person standing next to him who would just slap him if he used Facebook. So that you could take accountability to extremes and hire a, a slap buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. And it totally reminds me today. So I'm in a hotel room and there's a mini fridge. And on the mini fridge, there's a little knob, a mini knob that you, you pull open. And what I, <laughs> in this apartment that I, I stayed at, in Tavira in Portugal, we had rented a place and I would go there for a week or so, or maybe even a month. And when you pull that knob, because this person, this is a bachelor pad, he had a mini fridge, not a real fridge. Same little knob, but every time you pull the knob, the knob comes off. <laughs> so I learned how to like, you know, get my hands around the edges to open the fridge. What do I do in this hotel room? I don't use the knob. I go and I try to <laughs> Literally happened this morning. <laughs> that's really interesting behavior change that isn't it yeah so i believe everything i believe that i'm not sure if i'll hire this slap buddy but it works whatever it is you know just this trained response we're, we're human beings and i guess um you figured this out <laughs> like train us so where can we find your new book the stop scrolling well, Stop Scrolling and Learn NLP are part of the 30-Day Expert series, and they're on Amazon. And the new one that I'm writing at the moment is Beat Burnout, and that will be out soon. And I think all of it is focused on making small changes that stick, on behavior change that lasts, being kind to yourself if things go wrong. That's a really important addiction step, actually. When people are recovering from, or when people are making behavior changes that are very, very hard, there's, um, there's an emphasis on streaks. Anybody who uses Snapchat will know about streaks. And I think the important thing is to be kind to yourself if you break your streak. You know, if you're 15 days through my stop scrolling program and for some reason you have to look at your phone and that means you can't switch it off for half an hour a day, don't beat yourself up. Get back on the wagon and do it tomorrow. And that's actually more important than saying, I've blown it now. I'll just go back to using my phone five hours a day and, and have a few drinks in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. So I'm going to have links to where to find your books. It is super easy, actually. When I when I search, I just do Tony Wrighton books and you pop up on Amazon, you pop on your website, you pop up everywhere. So, but I will include links for the NLP and 
And the and the histamine histamine intolerance.net, not com, is where people can find your histamines. I tried to get histamine intolerance.com, but that was taken. <laughs> that's bizarre considering, yeah, there's so little information. It's not used either. There's nothing on there. I was like, just give it to me. <laughs> Crazy. Absolutely. That's that's bizarre. Maybe you can change it one day. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We try and change. Yeah, yeah. We'll make a um a pet a petition. <laughs> and, Ask him to, to change. Any last words for a woman going through the menopause transition? That's a woman going 40s, 50s. Look, I think probably the stuff around histamine intolerance will have resonated. I'd be very happy if you checked out my content on histamine intolerance, but it might be that you're looking for uh, more female-focused content, and I can recommend people. You know, I've, I've liaised and I've interviewed on my podcast some excellent histamine intolerance and menopause experts. I don't know if you've had Dr. Tina Pears on. Have you, have you spoken to her? No, no, but I think Alison is on it for me. I've yeah, asked her to, to find some people. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, Dr. Tina Pears is just one of the world renowned doctor experts in the fields of menopause and histamine intolerance and long COVID now. And, you know, guess what? For a lot of people, COVID came along and it exacerbated their histamine intolerance symptoms. It made the menopause worse. And a lot of people going through the menopause found COVID and long COVID particularly hard to deal with. So she was excellent when she came on my podcast. And I often point people going through the menopause to her for more details. Unfortunately, she's got a private clinic and she's booked up at least six months in advance. So you'll just have to listen to her podcast with me, really. But <laughs> her information is very good. Let's put a link to your podcast with her as well in the show notes so people can get to know her. And super interesting how she's doing researching non-COVID and menopause. And I know that a lot after people get COVID, they, their periods, if you're still cycling, are changing and unusually so. So there is some very interesting research I'm sure she's done on that as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, she's great. All right, Tony, letting you go. We, we can talk forever. I still have so many questions, but we will have to do another, another third podcast with you at some point. I'm super excited. I want to hear about the new book. When the new book comes out, let's, let's do another one. And, uh, and definitely yeah. I'll have to get a hold of that book before, before I interview you because I think that's going to be a big one. And um, I'm just so grateful that you're here and that you are sharing your time. And thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Oh, thanks, Zora. You too. I'll speak to you soon. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.